why do we as Christians, or why should we as Christians, why do we love and honor and uphold as authoritative God's written word? Why has it basically always been a thing that Christians are people who really do love the Bible? And the answer is, well, it's because Jesus loved and honored and upheld as authoritative God's written word. But not only that, but why do we as Christians, or again, why should we not only love the written word in general, but why do we love and honor and uphold as authoritative each and every word of the Bible? I mean, why do we here at ECC, for example, why do we really dive into God's word on Sunday mornings and go verse by verse? And the answer is, well, again, it's because Jesus loved and honored not just God's word in general, but each and every word of the word. And in fact, for that, right away, just look with me at verse 18 again. Verse 18, which you just heard in the scripture reading. Because there, as you can see, Jesus references every iota and every dot in God's word. Or every jot and tittle, famously from the King James. And that sort of detail, which Jesus goes out of his way to mention, is really significant. Because in basic, in those phrases, Jesus is talking about a letter and then a part of a letter from Hebrew which is what the Old Testament was written in. Because first, that word iota in Greek is Jesus there referencing the Hebrew letter yod, which looks like an apostrophe in English, and it's the smallest letter in Hebrew, and it's even a letter that I saw one commentator talk about this week compared to the silent letter E in English, and that's because yod is a letter that sometimes one could argue isn't even needed And so that's the first one Jesus references. And then second, that dot or tittle that Jesus references in Hebrew is actually just a part of a letter. Not even a whole letter. It's a tiny stroke of a pen which separates in Hebrew one letter from some other letters. With the best comparison in English being that line that separates a lowercase c from a lowercase e. A little line. And I bring all that up because that then shows us that again, Jesus didn't just honor and love God's written word in general, but apparently he honored and loved each word in God's word. He upheld each letter and each part of a letter in God's word. Our Savior and Lord honored and upheld and paid attention to God's written word that much. And now for us, as we begin here together this morning, as we hear that, let's just be honest. In our day and age, being like that toward the Bible is hard for us. It is difficult for us to really feel that in a deep way about God's written word. Because of all of us in this room, in our culture, especially with all the media and entertainment that we consume every day, we just like things simple and easy, right? We genuinely don't love studying or reading God's word. And we especially don't like to have to think about such small details. Like caring about every word or letter or even part of a letter. And therefore we we do tend to think in our culture that following Jesus is more so just this feelings based light and easy thing. And, And just think about it. The reality is so many American churches even talk and act like that is the case. And yet again, it is Jesus who I hope you now see so upheld every letter and part of a letter in God's word. And he's the one teaching us as followers here. And it's therefore Jesus who doesn't hint 
that we should take God's word and try to make it just easy. And furthermore, I really want to bring up the fact that this all isn't necessarily easy this morning because not only does Jesus mention every iota and dot here this morning, but also overall, really, this whole paragraph from Jesus, it really isn't easy (laughs) at all. And in fact, I just say that this, I think, is the hardest passage we've gone over in Matthew so far, and it's probably the most difficult passage for people to interpret in the whole Sermon on the Mount. And so that said, let's be clear this morning. Number one, the Bible is detailed and it isn't easy sometimes to understand. We can admit that. And number two, let's admit that Jesus himself, who's our Savior and King, when he came and when he spoke, sometimes what he said wasn't easy. And yet again, brothers and sisters, it's our Jesus also who upheld every iota and dot in God's word. And it's our Jesus who's the one who's speaking sometimes in difficult ways. And so for all of us, as we begin here this morning, I just hope that we all know that. And that then means concerning this morning, let's just make it our aim to do our best to hear from Jesus together. Because even if some of the things that he's about to say are tough at first to understand, let's just hear what Jesus has to say about God's word. And especially let's hear about what he has to say about how God's word relates to him and how it applies to you and me. But anyway, so that's just an introduction to this paragraph. But that really leads us now to dig in into our outline for for how we'll actually go through what Jesus says here. And so again, in some ways, this passage is difficult. But I want you to know it also is understandable. And it really does have some big applications for us and our following of Jesus. And so for us, in order to see what's here, we'll simply have two sections together this morning. Two sections. And as for what they are, very simply, first, we're just going to go verse by verse and step by step through what Jesus says here together. And we're going to do that in its own section to just try to track with what Jesus is saying here. Because again, we as Jesus' people, we above all want to understand our Lord. And so we'll do that first, and that'll honestly be a little headier this morning. But then after that, in our second section... That'll then set us up to just see three overarching takeaways from everything Jesus says in this paragraph and what it means for us. Three takeaways, and there we'll basically take what Jesus says and try to make it a bit more practical. And so in summary, two sections this morning. First, going verse by verse through what Jesus says. And second, three takeaways to make it a bit more practical. But all it said, let's then begin our first section this morning, church. And here again, we're just going verse by verse, step by step through what Jesus is saying to us here. And there's four verses here. And so we're just going to take it in four steps and four steps. But before we even do that, just a reminder of where we are here in Matthew. Remember, this here is being said by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, which we've now said a few times. Remember, is the king here, and he's talking to those in his kingdom, and he's talking about his kingdom. And not only that, but if you skim down just quickly in your Bibles to everything that's to come after this paragraph... After this, you can see Jesus from here on out is going to give a lot of newer commandments. And that's unique so far in the sermon because Jesus has just declared the Beatitudes. Then he's told us generally to shine. But after our paragraph this morning is going to come a lot of more specific commands and instructions for us as people. And that said, if you're tracking, that then means that this paragraph this morning, in a sense, is our king introducing all the ways he's about to tell us to act in his kingdom, if that makes sense. But anyways, all that said, let's finally begin here and just listen to Jesus and what he has to say. And we'll start in verse 17. 
So look at your Bibles. Jesus begins like this, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So this is a key verse to understand how Jesus saw his relationship to the Bible, and particularly to the Old Testament, because that's what he's talking about here. And we know that Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, because notice he uses that phrase, the law or the prophets. And just so you know, when that phrase was used, or when it was just shortened to the word, the law, that was the way the Jewish people talked about their scriptures. And so to be clear here, Jesus isn't just talking about commands in the Old Testament, he's talking about the whole Old Testament. And what does he say about the whole Old Testament? Well, two things here in this verse. First, Jesus says twice, right, that he has not come to abolish the Old Testament, meaning to totally destroy and do away with the Old Testament. And by the way, that right there from Jesus is a big reason, church, why we still love and read the Old Testament today. Jesus saying that right there is a big reason why the Old Testament is still in our Bibles, even though we are not under the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant in Christ. And so that's the first thing that Jesus says about the Old Testament here. And yet second, Jesus also though here does change the way that we should read and apply the Old Testament. And we know that because while Jesus says he doesn't come to abolish the Old Testament, he does say in that same sentence that he has come to fulfill the law and prophets. And if you've been with us for any amount of time so far in this book of Matthew, we all know by now that that word fulfill is big in this book. And, and so it is here because the idea of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament is that everything in the Old Testament was, was filling up with, with details here and there and pictures and stories and commands here and there. And it was all filling up and pointing to Jesus. Right, that's how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And so in brief, that is verse 17. Jesus is clear. You can see it. Concerning the Old Testament, he's not come to abolish it. And you and I do need to know that. And therefore, to be honest, we do need to be very concerned when any Christian, or especially any Christian teacher or preacher, disregards the Old Testament or says something like, we're basically unhitched from the Jewish scriptures. Because that is going directly against what Jesus says here. And yet also, again, Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament, which drastically changes the way we read and apply it. So that's the topic sentence, which then leads to verse 18 from Jesus. And here, Jesus is just going to basically re-explain and add a little bit to what he just said. So look down your Bibles again. Now, continuing on, Jesus adds this in verse 18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So on this verse, notice for the first time in this whole Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus starts with his famous, truly I say to you. And that's actually really significant because that phrase means truly, which is actually just the word amen in Greek, meaning this is true. And then it's truly I say to you. And that's huge because remember, the prophets in the Old Testament, when they spoke the word of the Lord, what they said was, thus says the Lord. Meaning, this is what the Lord says to you. But Jesus, as he is the Lord, what does he say over and over? Truly, I say to you. And he from here on out is going to use that phrase a lot in this Sermon on the Mount. 
And so, so Jesus starts here in verse 18, but then what does he say to us? Well, again, like in verse 17, first he emphasizes how he uh, hasn't come to make the Old Testament pass away. Because remember, as we opened with, Jesus is clear that every iota and every dot will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away. And yet also, like in verse 17 as well, while the Old Testament doesn't pass away, yet like it is fulfilled. So now here in verse 18, Jesus also says the whole Old Testament will be accomplished. And as for that word, that word accomplished is just the word meaning to happen or to come to pass. And so Jesus is saying that the Old Testament won't pass away and yet the Old Testament is being fulfilled by him and it is to happen in a sense. It's ultimately to be, it's ultimately to be accomplished by Jesus. And realizing that implied here is that the Old Testament is accomplished by Jesus, by him, is quite important. Because bring this to us, if we hear that right there, church, that the Old Testament is to be accomplished, and we think that the Old Testament is mainly to be accomplished by us, then we'd be missing the point. It would change our Christianity drastically. And so rather, if Jesus is the one who fulfills the Old Testament, then think about it, we can assume that Jesus is the one who will ultimately accomplish the Old Testament as well. Or, or to say it simply, Jesus here is saying that he comes to make the whole Old Testament happen in a sense. So that's verses 17 and 18. I hope that somewhat makes sense concerning our Lord and his relationship to the Old Testament. But that finally all leads us now to even, honestly, the tougher verses 19 and 20. And here's where it become a little more difficult, so stick with me, because remember, we're just trying to understand Jesus here. And we'll start with verse 19. So look down there. Jesus continues, verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so to understand this verse, one thing here is really important to remember. One thing. And it's that verse 19 here from Jesus comes after what he just said in verses 17 and 18. Verse 19 from Jesus comes after what he just said in verses 17 and 18. And that's important because that means, what, what then is Jesus talking about here in verse 19 about obeying commandments? Well first, and stick with me, he is in a sense talking about the Old Testament and Old Testament commandments. And we know that because he has been talking about the Old Testament so far. And yet the reason this matters that this comes after what he just said in verses 17 and 18 is because remember, Jesus at this point in the paragraph is talking about the Old Testament, but he's talking about the Old Testament commandments as he is fulfilling them and accomplishing them. That makes sense. Which means these commandments here aren't just or mainly Old Testament commandments. But they're technically the Old Testament commandments as they're fulfilled and about to be taught by Jesus. If you see that. And that's significant because church, if we think, again, that verse 19 here is saying, or Jesus is saying that his followers need to obey everything exactly written in the Old Testament, like the Israelites were to, without any reference to Jesus, then first, Jesus doesn't really fulfill or accomplish the Old Testament. But more important, second, that would directly contradict other places in the New Testament, which say things like, we're in a new covenant and no longer under the old covenant. And even more clearly, the apostles say that we're no longer the old, under the Old Testament law. 
which is clear in books like Romans and Galatians, as we know. And so Jesus is not saying that we're still under the Old Testament, and yet he is saying that as those in his kingdom, we are to seek to obey commandments, especially Old Testament commandments, but only whenever and however Jesus himself takes them up and teaches them. They don't pass away completely, but Jesus is here to fulfill and accomplish them. And therefore, you and I obey the Old Testament only by obeying Jesus and whatever he teaches to us. And now, I know it could be confusing, more could be said on that, and we'll talk about it actually more in our second section too. And, and there we'll especially emphasize obedience, because as you can see, that's actually what Jesus emphasizes here. But overall, just concerning this verse, I hope we at least a little bit get what Jesus is saying here. He is talking about his followers obeying the least of the commandments as he himself fulfills and teaches them to us. Which finally, on this first section, leads us to verse 20. So stick with me. One more verse from Jesus. Look down at your Bibles. He ends the paragraph like this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so, at first, this to all of us may set off red flags in our minds because it may sound like Jesus is saying, we need to be good enough to earn our salvation. But notice, carefully, he actually never says that. He never says that your righteousness is what gets you into the kingdom. Instead, Jesus is now just finally saying, after all he just said, that unless you are a person whose righteousness, whose actual life, has such fruit and exceeds the righteousness of those typical religious leaders back then, you won't ever enter and be in the kingdom. Now, he doesn't say you ever earn it by that, but he does say, Jesus does say clearly here, that everyone in his kingdom has such a righteousness. Which, which practically means that, think about it. In this passage so far, Jesus has been talking about his followers following him as he fulfills and teaches the Old Testament in his own way. And that said, what then is this righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees? Well, clearly, if you're tracking in this context, it would be a righteousness that comes from following Jesus and what he says. Not perfectly, but genuinely following him. That is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. And now, Jesus doesn't say again that having that or following him is what saves you. But he does say that for anyone who does trust and follow him, they do have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Which means, if you genuinely know and trust Jesus here, then you do have a righteousness that he's working in you as you follow him. But also, it does mean that if you don't genuinely know Jesus, then you don't have that righteousness and you will never enter his kingdom. Now, if that's confusing, we'll, we'll talk about that more in our second section as well, but I hope that starts to make sense. But anyway, so church, that is verses 17 through 20 here from Jesus. And I know that was a lot, but in basic summary then of everything Jesus says to hear us here in these verses, he's saying, number one, that he hasn't come to totally get rid of the Old Testament. But also, number two, he has come to fulfill and accomplish the scriptures in a sense. And therefore, number three, for those of us who follow him, our goal is to follow what he says, not to earn our salvation, but because we want to follow our king. Which finally, number four, does though lead Jesus to say 
that if anyone decides to be a Christian and yet isn't really trying to follow him, that's a problem. And it shows that they're not in his kingdom. So that's our first section. That's just going through what Jesus says, which finally then leads us to our second and more practical section. And here again, basically we're going to take what Jesus says and have three takeaways from it, or really just three things to summarize in a more practical way what Jesus just said. And so three takeaways, and we're going to apply these going from the bottom of our paragraph where we just ended, back to the top. So from the bottom to the top, three takeaways. So number one, as for the first takeaway, we'll get this one from verse 20, which we just talked about. And and there's many ways we could say this, but I hope a clear way to say it is that for all of us as Christians, and for any Christian, what Jesus shows us here is that our righteousness does exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees in their typical religiousness. But that then practically means as a takeaway for us, we each can be encouraged by that, but also we each need to be challenged and should examine our faith by that. Let me say that again. The first takeaway is for all of us as Christians and really for any Christian, what Jesus says in verse 20 shows us that our righteousness does exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, which practically means we should be encouraged by that, but we also should be challenged and examine our faith by that. And I want to stress that because again, notice this is exactly what Jesus says. He says clearly, quote, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. Which means since the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus is true, it means that all Christians do have a righteousness that exceeds what the religious teachers had back then. And and just to be clear, the scribes and Pharisees were known as good, moral, upstanding people. But again, why is it that Christians always have a better righteousness? Well, it's because we're genuinely trying to follow Jesus, who is the best teacher and the best example of righteousness there ever was. We're saved in the gospel, and then we're changed by his spirit. And we're not perfect, but we do genuinely, as Jesus followers, try to follow Jesus, which is a superior righteousness. And on the one hand, that should be encouraging, because that means if you trust in Jesus then you have been saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and that means you are being led by the Spirit and have a growing righteousness as you're trying to follow Jesus. It does not mean that you do not mess up, but it does mean that as Christians saved by Jesus, following Jesus, we do have a God-given righteousness in our lives. We are aligned with God in a unique way in how we live as we try to know him more and follow Jesus. And that sort of living and righteousness exceeds mere relig- religiosity or just a facade. Instead, that is a real beautiful thing that Jesus does in his people. And it is why God in the Old Testament promises that in the new covenant, he will make his people, quote, oaks of righteousness. And so that's the encouragement. If you're a Christian, God is doing that in your life. By his grace, from one degree of glory to the next, you are looking more and more like Jesus. But then also, the challenge from this takeaway from Jesus here in verse 20 is that this then also means if you're someone who honestly doesn't have that righteousness in your life, meaning if you're someone who when you annualize your life, you realize that you're not genuinely trying to follow Jesus and do what he says, 
then what Jesus does say here means that you do not actually know him. And, and he says that if you don't come to know him genuinely and therefore change, you will never be in his kingdom. And again, please don't hear that as just something I'm saying or just something the Bible is saying in a strict seemingly way. Instead, Look at verse 20 again. One last time, Jesus is clear. Every single person genuinely in his kingdom has a righteousness more than mere morality or religiosity or just trying to be good. And why? Well, because again, when we trust Jesus and his gospel of his life, death, and resurrection, he changes us and he by his spirit makes us want to follow him. And so... If we don't feel that, then Jesus is telling us to ask ourselves, do I really know him and trust him as my savior and king? And quickly, I do want to say, if you are here and you realize that you don't, then I do encourage you right now, just trust in Jesus to be your king and your savior. And then by his grace, he will start to produce that righteousness more in your life. So that's the first takeaway. Which now leads to the second. And this will now come from verse 19. And this takeaway now is that church, there is a greatness in really listening to and trying to do what Jesus says. <laughs> Let me say that again. The takeaway is that there's a greatness in really trying to listen to and do what Jesus says. <laughs> and we say it that way talking about greatness because notice, it's quite fascinating. Because while in verse 20, Jesus warns simply about those who aren't his, in his kingdom, right? We just talked about that. Yet in verse 19, it's really interesting. In that verse, Jesus is only talking about those in his kingdom. Do you see that? And yet, according to Jesus, even in his kingdom, there's on the one hand, people who relax his commandments and teach others to do the same. And on the other hand, there's people who are really trying to do his commandments and teach others to do the same. And according to Jesus, the relaxing group will be called least in the kingdom, while the more so doing group will be called great in the kingdom. And now, what exactly Jesus means by individual people either being called last versus being called great in the kingdom, we don't exactly know. We could speculate and bring in his talk elsewhere about rewards and such, but in the end, we do not know the specifics. But what we definitely do know, brothers and sisters, is that it is clear from Jesus here that as an obvious takeaway from what he says there, we should aim, therefore, to not just trust and love Jesus, which is what we saw is true of every Christian in a sense in verse 20, but also now here in verse 19, we see that there's a certain greatness in really hearing and actually doing and even teaching others what Jesus says. And now, thinking about that, and how it relates to the gospel, and, and how it applies more specifically to your and my lives, this, this is why, in how we live as Christians, we always want to be aware of two errors that we can fall into in our Christian living, into two errors that we can fall into in all this as we're trying to live out our Christian lives. And you might have heard these before, because what I'm talking about is the one error known as legalism, but then there's the other error that we know as antinomianism. Legalism and antinomianism. And, and these apply, I think, to what Jesus is talking about here. Because first, as for legalism, that's the term we use to talk about basically thinking that how we obey Jesus, how we obey God's legal laws, it's thinking that that's what makes us right with God. 
Or legalism can simply be adding to God's law, making Christianity all about rules and inventing all these things we have to do up that Jesus in the New Testament never say. And so on the one hand, think about it, we need to be careful of that because notice, Jesus here doesn't want us ever to become our own saviors. He's the savior. Nor does he want us to start obeying our own commands. He doesn't encourage either of those things. Instead, he's our savior and he wants us to follow him and what he says. And so yes, we need to watch out for legalism and you should watch out especially if you know you're prone to that. But then also, on the complete other side, the other error is known as antinomianism. Antinomianism. And as for that word antinomianism, it's just a word that comes from the idea of being anti or against law or command. And this then is knowing that we're saved by grace through faith alone, which is true, but then it's therefore thinking that Jesus has nothing else to say to us. And that we as Christians just therefore do whatever we want or whatever we think is best or most loving. And this is a problem because while in legalism we make our own selves our saviors and add to Jesus' words, in antinomianism we don't take seriously the fact that once we're saved, we're really to follow Jesus when we're in his kingdom. And so we always need to keep those two errors in mind and avoid them because again, the second takeaway from Jesus here is that there's a greatness in being saved, absolutely, but also there's a greatness in doing what he says. Even if that doing doesn't, of course, save us. And just to be clear, this emphasis on obedience from Jesus is one of the final things he even leaves his disciples and us with in this whole book of Matthew and really before he goes right back up to heaven. Because as you might know, in Matthew 28, in what we call the Great Commission, after Jesus rises from the dead, what's the, one of the last things he tells his disciples? Well, he tells them and he tells us this, quote, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's the very end of this book of Matthew. And so again, this has always been and still is Jesus' goal for his people. He is the Savior and King. We don't save ourselves. We do not rule ourselves. But there is a certain greatness, church, in doing what he says. And one day, somehow, Jesus will declare on certain people such a greatness. And so for us, simply said, let's be people like that church. <laughs> Let's be great in our obedience to Jesus. That's the second takeaway. Which finally for this morning leads us to the third and last and briefest takeaway. And this will now come from what we saw in verses 17 and 18. And seeing what we saw there, the takeaway from those verses is simply this. Church, we should make it our aim to honor and love every single word of the Bible, including the Old Testament, and though we should read the Bible and honor the Bible with Jesus at the center. Let me say that again. We should make it our aim to honor and love every single word of the Bible, including the Old Testament, and though we should read the Bible and honor the Bible with Jesus at the center. And, and we say that's a takeaway for us because, again, that's just what Jesus clearly teaches here. He doesn't abolish the Old Testament. He upholds and loves every letter and every part of a letter in the Old Testament. It's amazing. And so should we. 
But then also, again, Jesus does fulfill the whole Old Testament. He does accomplish it in a sense, and that changes how it applies to us. Which means just very practically that each of us, as followers of Jesus, should, number one, keep reading the Old Testament and loving the Old Testament and studying the Old Testament because Jesus basically tells us that if we're not doing that, then we are upholding the wonderful word of God in the Old Testament that we have like we should. But also, it practically means, number two, that we should read and apply the Old Testament not exactly as the Israelites did who were under the Old Covenant, but instead, church, we should read the Old Testament as Christians, knowing the one who fulfills it all, and we follow him. And so that's our passage, church. And I know, again, that was a lot in some ways, but I do hope, as heady as maybe some of that was, that it's been helpful to you. Because again, it's Jesus who before he goes from here and teaches basically for three chapters more practically, it's Jesus who spoke this paragraph and introduces what he's about to say like this. And so for you and I, simply said, now as we close, and now that we understand Jesus a bit more here, let's just close by making it our goal to therefore just do what he says more, church. Let's make it our goal to not only know this, but to do this. Because our Savior has come. He saved us in the gospel and out of love. And because he knows what's best for us, he is calling us to obey him. (laughs) And so first, again, let's just make sure that we personally and genuinely do know him. That we love and trust Jesus in his gospel of life and death and resurrection for sinners because that's foundational. But then second, if we do know and trust him, again, let's just make a decision in our minds right now and in our hearts and lives to just follow Jesus more and obey him more and whatever he says in his word. Because one last time, as Jesus said, as Jesus said, for those who relax his commandment, there is a declaration of least in the kingdom coming. And in a sense, let's just be honest, we know that is what we all deserve. (laughs) We know we cannot follow Jesus on our own. All is grace. And so let's cling to Jesus even as we hear him say what he says to us here. Because we also know that as he taught us elsewhere, quote, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet still, that being true, even though all of our obedience is by grace alone, still, Jesus tells us that we should and we can make it our aim to follow him more. To trust and obey him for our happiness and for his glory. To do what he says, to even teach others to do the same. And so one last time, church, let's do that. Simply said, let's go from here this morning and trust and obey our Lord. Let's make it our aim to follow him in whatever he says and let's do it knowing that in his kingdom, being like him is true greatness.